Uh, Father, thank You. Thank You for Your love. Uh, thank You for Your grace over us. Um, I really do believe that this, this room makes You so happy. Um, this is what You sent Your Son for. Men and women reconciled to You, reconciled to one another. Enjoying You, enjoying one another. Jesus, thank You. Um, I pray just for your grace over us tonight. And um, I know we're sleepy and tired and uh, distracted, but I pray right now, Spirit, that you'd wake us up, that we'd be able to see the beauty of Jesus more clearly. That we would love you more and love one another more. That's in your beautiful name. Amen. Um, so my topic this evening is the gospel. It's kind of like asking uh, an architect to talk about buildings for a while. Um, or like a barista, like, hey, you got 40 minutes, just talk about coffee. <laughs> like, here you go, right? Or like an American, like, hey, 40 minutes to talk about yourself, you know? Um, <laughs> there's a lot to say. And I'm going to do my best to, to, to wrap it in and chat about the gospel for 40 minutes. And um, I, I read a book last year called Why We Sleep. And the author, he's like the leading professional doctor of sleep in the world. And he said the worst time to give a talk is in the afternoon. It's after you've, you've eaten your lunch and, and your circadian rhythm is at your lowest. And I'm going to write to him next week and tell him, no, the worst time to give a talk is after a long week of work, a long drive, and for some of you, 30 hours on an airplane. Um, that that probably beats like an afternoon lull, um, but but I really do. If you need to like stand up in the back, please stand up in the back, slap your neighbor in the face, like I'll do my best to get through this. But if you got your Bible, Galatians chapter 1, here we go. If you're afraid of falling asleep, you could come sit right up in here. Fear of man will keep you awake the entire time. Galatians 1. Uh, we may have the verses on the screen. We're going to read 10 verses. Callum, one job, dude. Here we go. Galatians 1, 1 to 10. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter about 2,000 years ago uh, to the church in Galatia. And he says this. I'll be reading out of the ESV says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is generally how Paul starts out his letters. It's, it's with this beautiful praise of God for who he is and what he has accomplished through Jesus Christ. And in every other letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, he generally does that first, and then he moves straight on to thanking God for the church. Galatia is the only letter that he does not move from praise of God to thanks 
to God for the church because the church needs to be rebuked immediately. And Paul goes on in verse 6 says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we've said before. So now I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is not playing around. He is quite serious because the issue here is a very serious issue. And what the issue is at the church of Galatia is that they've begun to move on from the gospel. They, they, they received the gospel at the beginning. And then they began believing the lie that they could add to the gospel. And in adding to the gospel, Paul says, you've completely distorted it. So, so my desire tonight is to explain what is the gospel? One of my great fears for, for our church, for our churches is, is yes, gospel is our culture. It's our value, but it can easily become one of those words that we use a lot, but we have no idea what we're saying. And I want to dive into primarily verse 6 here and unpack what does this gospel even mean? What is this gospel all about? If we really are going to say this is what we are centered upon, we better at least know how to define it. We better at least know how to live in this reality of a gospel life. And the first thing I want to point out in verse 6 is this. The gospel is not a proposition that we consent to, but a person that we're called to. The gospel is not some idea in the clouds that we say yes or no to, but it's a person who's called us to himself. Look at verse 6 in chapter 1. Paul says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. For Paul, gospel and God are the same. The gospel means good news. And to Paul, the good news is that you get God. And when you turn from the gospel, you turn from God himself. So many of us, I believe, and I know it's in my own heart as well, we think of the gospel as this like test that we're going to take one day. Maybe a test that we're taking right now, but I think many of us, we think that when we die, we're going we're gonna to breathe our last and we're going to get to heaven, whatever that is, and we're going to see someone at the front gate, maybe Peter, maybe somebody else. They're going to basically hand us a test, multiple choice test, and it's going to be our entrance exam. If we pass it, we get in. If we don't pass it, we don't, Right? So, so first question he hands to us is, 
Does God exist? Yes or no? You're like, I, I feel pretty good about this. Yes. He's like, good job. Going to get a little bit more tricky here. Which of the 12 disciples betrayed Jesus? Peter, Bartholomew, Joseph, trick question, or Judas? And you're like, okay, come on, come on, come on. I think it's Judas. Never met anybody named Judas. It's got to be Judas, right? So, so yes, Judas. Next question. Did Jesus raise from the dead physically or just spiritually? Like, pretty sure physically. Physically, yeah. He's like, good job. One more question, then you're in. How old is the earth? 6,000 years old. 10,000 years old, 4.6 billion years old, or 10 trillion years old. You're like, oh no. 10,000? Sorry, you're going to hell forever. (laughs) Like, I think many of us really believe that's what our faith comes down to if we get the right propositional truths. And for Paul, he isn't saying that there's a test that you're one day going to have to fill out intellectually. It's a person. The good news of the gospel is actually a person. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven to eight says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's two people in the world. Those who will dread his appearing and those who love his appearing. The gospel is the good news that when he appears, we will love his appearing because we know that he loved us first. My wife showed up today after a week of me being gone and I loved her appearing. It was, I'll leave it there, but I, I loved her appearing. I I looked forward to it because I know her. Because I love her, because she knows me, because she loves me. We, we looked forward to that appearing. The gospel is the good news that God has done everything that you ever possibly needed so that you could love his appearing. Michael Reeves, in one of his books, makes a brilliant observation. I'm going to read it. He says, it's not just our self-focus, though, We naturally gravitate, it seems, toward anything but Jesus. And Christians, almost as much as anyone, whether it's the Christian worldview, grace, the Bible, or the gospel, as if these things were in themselves the things that could save us. Even the cross can get abstracted away from Jesus as if the wood had some power of its own. Other things, wonderful things, vital concepts, beautiful discoveries, so easily edge Jesus aside. Precious theological concepts meant to describe him and his work get treated as things in their own right. He becomes just another brick in the wall 
But the center, the cornerstone, the jewel in the crown of Christianity is not an idea. It's not a system. It's not a thing. It's not even the gospel as such. It is Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus. Our biggest issue in the world was that we were apart from him and he has done everything through his life, death, and resurrection so that we could have him. The gospel's not an idea in the clouds. It's a person who has come for us. This is the good news that we must never turn from. The second thing I see in verse 6 is that the gospel cannot be added to, but only received by grace. See, in, in Galatia, what was happening was they had received the gospel. They had, they had seen and heard about Jesus and they had put their faith in him. But what had happened over the next year or two was false teachers came in and said, yeah, yeah, that Jesus guy, good. But you also have to follow the Old Testament laws if you want to be sure God really loves you and accepts you. It doesn't sound that dangerous. Right? He, these false teachers weren't saying, hey, Jesus, yes, and also worshiping this God via the prostitution cult. It's like, that'd be probably like a red flag. But, but, but this is just, hey, hey, yes, and the scriptures that we have had, circumcision, these Passover meals, this date, and this holiday. We've got to have all of this on top of the finished work of Jesus. And Paul says again in verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. If you add anything on top of the finished work of Jesus, it is a different gospel. And there is no other gospel. There is no other good news. He is the only good news we have. I don't believe that in a room like this, we're going to be adding to our salvation, adding to the work of Jesus through circumcision, obeying specific holidays, and things like that. But it is so easy to add on to the finished work of Jesus. I also have to read my Bible. I also have to go to church camp. I also have to go on that trip. I also have to pray this long. I also have to serve on this serve team in the church. I also have to do all of these things. And Jesus says, no, my work is sufficient. It's done. When Jesus Christ is dying on the cross for your sins, he says, it's finished. And don't you dare step and go, no, 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 not yet. I need to get through my morning devo. I gotta spend time in the morning with prayer and scripture and then you can say it's finished. No, he said it's finished before you were born. That's the good news of the gospel. That there's not a single thing you can add on top of his finished work. He's not waiting for you and be like, let's see how they do. No, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. That's how you and I did. And he came and rescued us. And he said it's finished. Friends, we, we can't make him love us anymore. The cross of Jesus Christ says he's no longer mad. I got such a beautiful picture of this a couple of months ago with my two kids. We were about five minutes away from going to a birthday party. And it was one of those fun birthday parties. Tons of ice cream and toys. Um, and my kids, it was a rough day. They're six and five 
Sometimes they hate each other and they fight nonstop. And it was that day specifically, my six-year-old boy, Micah, he was just being a pain to Emma. Like just testing her over and over and like kind of getting in her face and stuff. And, and he um, kind of gave her a push. And, and I, I said, hey, buddy, if you touch her again, you're not going to the birthday party. Do you understand me? And I didn't, we didn't have a backup babysitter. I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but I, I said it very seriously. You touch her again. You are not coming to the birthday party. He's like, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Guys, two minutes later, (laughs) two minutes later, Emma screams down the hall. I'm like, I'm going to have to find a babysitter. Like, like, how is this even going to work? So I, I walk out into the hall and he's going, no, 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 daddy. I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I forgot. Daddy, I'm so, no, daddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Daddy, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. And I'm like, Emma, what did he do? Did he touch you? Emma looks at me and says, I don't remember. <laughs> Micah goes, she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember. She doesn't remember. I was like, get in the car. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Friends. Hebrews chapter 10, 14 to 18. The author says, for by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Friends, when Jesus Christ looks at you through His finished atoning sacrificial work through the cross, He looks at your messed up sinful life and says, I don't remember. I don't remember. He's chosen to forget your sins. The sins that keep you up at night. Those memories from five years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Jesus Christ, through His finished work, when He screams out, it's finished, has chosen for all of eternity to go, I don't remember. He's paid for it. Let's not add anything to it. We can't. Let's receive it purely by grace. It's all you and I can do. We just go, okay, thank you. That's what faith is. Faith isn't answering the right question on the test. The faith is this. Jesus says to you, I don't remember. And you go, okay, that's my new reality. Even when I don't feel it, I'm trusting that he defines reality, not me anymore. And He's forgiven me of every single thing He's possibly I have ever done. And the good news of the Gospel isn't forgiveness. 
The good news of the gospel is that we've been forgiven so that we can have him. The good news of the gospel isn't salvation. It's that we've been saved so that we can have him. The good news of that gospel is not heaven, but that we have him for all of eternity. That's the good news. It's him. He's done everything so that we could have him. Yes, thank you, God, you've forgiven me. But forgiveness wasn't to push us away. It was to pull us close. And that's the good news that we get to celebrate every moment of your life. Not just on your good days, but on your bad We don't add from it. We don't leave it. And this is what Paul is talking about. Brennan Manning says this quote that I've held on to closely for the last six months. He says, God loves you as you are. Not as you should be. Because nobody is as they should be. Do you believe that? He loves you as you are right now. Not a future version of you, not a past version of you. You right now. Not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. If you're waiting for God's love to come to you, once you get to the next step, you'll never receive it. That's why He meets us in our mess. He says, I want you now. And lastly, the Gospel isn't the starting point we walk away from, but the path we walk along. The gospel is not a starting point that we walk away from, but it is the path that we walk along for our entire lives. Tim Keller, pastor in the States, he says this, because the gospel is endlessly rich, it can handle the burden of being the one main thing of a church. We can't be centered on anything else. Only the gospel, only Jesus is endlessly rich that we can center our church around him. We can put everything on him and he can carry it. Anything else will be a failure. Even good things. Even good things. Only the gospel can be the center. And it's not a starting point. It's the path we walk along the entire time. See, many of you know my story, but I started preaching when I was 18 years old. I preached for two years before I got saved. Confusing times. My dad just found all my old sermons on CDs. (laughs) Guys. Yeah. I just, I'm just gonna hang them in my office. And then whenever I have too high a view of myself, I'm just gonna look at those sermons. It, they're, they're a train wreck. Two years I don't talk about Jesus. Two years I don't talk about the gospel. Two years I don't talk about the cross. Two years I didn't talk about grace. Two years where the Galatians wouldn't have made any sense to me. And two men came into my life, Bobby and this dude, Andy, and they began talking about the gospel. And I was like, the gospel? We already, that was like, when I was like six, what are you talking about the gospel? That's old news, man. The problem was the gospel isn't old news. It's good news that we live in every moment of every day. This is why Paul is going, you, you, you've left? You, 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 you think there's something else? You think that the gospel was just the doorway that gets you into Christianity? The gospel is Christianity. Like you don't add on top of it. 
Probably not an American because we don't have service, but <clears throat> the gospel is the good news that we don't move on from, but we stay in. Look at Galatians 2, same, same letter, but verse 11 to 14. Paul says this, but when Cephas, that's Peter, the disciple and apostle Peter, when he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Big deal. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party does sound scary, but he's still talking about the Jews. Okay, the the Jews are the circumcision party. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is a big deal. See, Peter was hanging out with Gentiles, non-Jews. Peter was a Jew, but when he... We don't have enough time. But Jesus was Jewish. Peter was Jewish. And the Jews had believed that they had to somewhat be separated from the world in order to display God's glory. And Jesus destroyed, as Grant just talked about, that division, that hostility wall of the two. And Peter was hanging out with Gentiles, believing the gospel, walking in step with the gospel. But when some of the other Jews showed up, Peter got nervous and he began to fear what they would think of him. So he walked away from the Gentiles. And began to eat with the Jews. And Paul says, no. I condemned him to his face. Why? Because he wasn't walking in step with the gospel. He wasn't walking on the path of the gospel. When he was eating with the Gentiles, Peter was walking on the step pathway of the gospel. But the moment he began to be afraid of what people thought of him and began to act with a racist heart, dividing two races and going, I can't be with them. I need to be with them. He got off the pathway of the gospel and began to walk away from it. Peter says, you stand, Paul says to him, you stand condemned. You don't, you don't walk away from the gospel. You walk in step with the gospel. The gospel applies to all of life. Every single sin that you and I commit is because we've walked out of step with the gospel. It's we've taken our eyes off of Jesus, who he is and what he has done, and we've begun to walk in the flesh and we've stayed away from the pathway of the gospel. There's a goofy phrase that many Americans say, and it's this. It was a total God thing. Here's the problem with that phrase. It's always a God thing. Right? But they use it when it's like a big deal. Like, got a promotion at work. It was a God thing. Right? Generally about money, classic Americans. But it was a God thing. We can't do the same thing with the gospel. Oh, it was a gospel thing. It's always a gospel thing. 
It's, it's always a gospel thing. It's either I'm walking in line with the gospel or I'm walking out of line with the gospel. There's no in-between. And that's what Paul does here. Racism between Jew and Gentile, two different races. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, that's not politically correct, bro. He goes, you're walking out of step with the gospel. What does the gospel say? The gospel says that every single human being, both Jew and Gentile, white and black, have equal dignity and are both equally depraved. No one's superior, no one's inferior. Both made in the image of God, both have fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus Christ has loved and died for both. Don't you dare lift one above the other or else you are walking out of step with the gospel. We need to see every issue as a gospel issue. Paul, Jesus, all the New Testament writers, this is the reality of every single thing. I want to throw out just a few to help you begin thinking that every issue is a gospel issue. Sexual purity is a gospel issue. Do you guys have purity rings or is that just an American thing too? All right. I think the Jonas Brothers made it famous. And there's a beautiful thing. If you, there's a beautiful thing to purity rings, but we need to be careful about our language with purity rings, right? Usually, what purity ring is like, I'm keeping my purity ring on until I get married. I'm like, what's going to happen after marriage? It's like this implication: we get impure. No, 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 you can have sex in marriage and you're still pure. Like, keep that bad boy on, right? <laughs> like, if that's what's keeping you pure, hold on to that thing. Sexual purity. Paul never says, "Hey, guys." Don't have sex because you could get a disease. 1 Corinthians 6 says, hey, flee sexual immorality. Do you know why? Because your body's not your own. You've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. Now honor and glorify him with your body. Sexual purity is a gospel issue. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You don't get to do whatever you want to do with your body anymore. It's his. He bought it with his blood. On the cross when he said, it's finished, he said, it's your mind. Our body is his and every decision we make with it is a gospel issue. Conflict. Oftentimes you'll hear, hey, you should forgive that person because if you don't, it's going to be like poison in your soul. It's not good for you. Release that person. Forgiveness is about what you do. How you feel. Paul in Ephesians 4 says, no, no, you forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. You you let them go of that debt because Christ Jesus has let you go of an infinite debt that you could have never paid. I know some of us have been hurt so, so deeply, and it may be a process of forgiveness, but a Christian cannot ever say, I will never forgive that person because they end up being that person choking That person out for a few dollars compared to Jesus freeing us of a trillion dollar debt. It's a gospel issue, that bitterness in our heart. We need to see Jesus saying over us, Father, forgive them. As we hear that, we're able to forgive others. Marriage is a gospel issue. The world will tell you, hey, Take a test, figure out what your love language is, and then demand that from your spouse. (laughs) I just need to be served. I've got a servant's love language. 
serve me, then this marriage will fix itself. Paul in Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Don't figure out your love language. Look at Jesus. Did Jesus show up saying, give me this. This is what I need. No, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You want to have a healthy marriage? Look to Jesus Christ dying in your place. And Jesus goes, now mirror that. The grace that I pour out into your heart, the love that I pour out into your heart, now you can overflow that into your marriage and serve. Well, what have they done for me? What did you do for Jesus? You killed him. <laughs> that's, that's what we look at, the cross of Jesus. And that was what creates a healthy marriage. You won't be compatible. You know who's the least compatible two people in the entire universe? You and Jesus. He did not make up a list and go like, yeah, I want them to be holy. I want them to be righteous. I want them to be just. I want them to be merciful. I want them to be... No, he said, they're all dead in their sins and I will bring them life through my death and resurrection. And he's poured that into your soul through the Holy Spirit and said, now go and do likewise. Stop looking at your spouse to figure out how this is going to work. Look at Jesus Christ and love the way you've been loved. Or else you're walking out of step with the gospel. Work. The world will tell you, here's how to get to the top. They'll say it in different ways, but basically it's step on as many people's heads as possible so you can be at the top. We always ask, how many people are you over in the workplace? There's some power there. Oh, you know, I've got a company, I'm over about 400 people. Think about the language there. I'm over them. How did Jesus love us? Philippians 2 said that he humbled himself, making himself nothing, dying on the cross so that now he's exalted. There's nothing wrong with desiring greatness. Jesus rebukes his disciples not for their desire to be great, but the way they were pursuing greatness. They were trying to pursue greatness by beating one another. He said, you want to be great? Serve one another. You want to work well, love well? Look at Jesus, how he worked well and served you. He did not come over you. He went underneath you and lifted you up. And we do the same in the workplace. We don't domineer our coworkers, our employees, our customers. We serve them. We get under them and lift them up the way Jesus has done with us. Our discontentment, that desire in you for more, more money, a bigger place, more, more, more. I mean, I've literally sat in sermons where, where someone's like, hey, you want a bigger house. Here's how you not have that desire anymore. You go look at someone who has a smaller house than you. Then you'll feel content. What if you've got the smallest house? <laughs> it's a problem. It's not how the scriptures 
encourage us. That's, not, that's, not how, that's walking out of step with the gospel. Oh, I feel discontent. Oh, look, they've got a worse house. Now I'm good. <laughs> Hebrews 13 says, keep yourselves free from the love of money. Why? Because he said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where does our contentment come from? Not by looking at someone with a smaller house, but by looking at Jesus knowing he's never leaving you. He's our contentment. He's the reason I don't need more and more and more because I have the king. I don't need to put others down to feel better about myself. He's come to me, loving me. I walk in step with the gospel when I don't put others down and look at what others don't have, but by looking at Jesus and what he has given me. And the last one is parenting. There's a, every single topic is walking in step with the gospel. But I had a fun opportunity with my kids a couple weeks ago. In our church gathering, in the kids' ministry, they were going through the passage on the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, this story where the tax collector and the Pharisee, they show up to pray, and the Pharisee is like, thank you, God, that I fast twice a week, and I'm not like this lazy guy, right? And the tax collector can't even, like, look up. He's like, oh, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. And my boy and my girl had their little coloring sheet, and I, after gathering, I'll ask, hey, what did you guys learn about today? And um, my boy is, he's, we're, He's kind of like a Pharisee in training like his dad. So I'm, I'm always trying to make sure that he doesn't become like me pre-20 years old. I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty good. He's got the right answers. He's sharp. He's, he's pretty good. And so I asked him, hey, what did you guys learn in church gathering today? And Micah says, oh, we learned about the Pharisee and the tax collector. He said, what, what did you learn about it? He said, well... And, and he was thinking, he said, well, and he starts explaining. He goes, Daddy, uh, the Pharisee was standing up and praying, and he said, like, he starts reciting it. I was like, okay, okay, okay. Emma, what, 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 was the, what was the story about today, sweetie? She goes, I don't know. And Micah goes, ha, 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 she doesn't know. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, go on, buddy, tell me about the Pharisee and the tax collector. <laughs> My boy wasn't able to apply the gospel to his own heart until I was able to do it in that moment, lovingly. He thought the Pharisee was out there, and I showed him the Pharisees in here, buddy. You mocking and laughing at your sister, thinking you're better than her because you have the right answers, is walking out of step with the gospel. Buddy, Jesus loves you. He doesn't love you because you have the right answers. So we get to love our sister even when she doesn't have the right answers. All of life is a walking in step with the gospel. And friends, let us be a church that never deserts him. Let us be like Peter. Then when others deserted Jesus, Jesus turns and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Let him be our life. Let him be our contentment. Let him be our joy. Let him be our everything and never move on. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your kindness over us. Thank you that you love us as we are. 
right now that you, by your grace and your justice, have chosen not to remember our sins anymore. That the gospel is the good news that we get you. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Communion. Yes. We're going to take communion. We're going to respond to Jesus by taking communion. Um, We're going to spend maybe the next few minutes, I think we're going to sing one song. Um, But during that song, if you would come up and, and, and grab some communion. Communion is a physical representation of what I just talked about. That he has chosen to say, I don't remember your sins anymore. So take the bread that represents my body. Take the juice that represents my blood and enjoy them because I've done everything for you. It's an act of faith celebrating him. Don't come to the table going, oh, I just have had a rough week. Come to the table going, he loves me. And he's proved it through his body and his blood. So in this next song, in the next few minutes, will we stand together and take communion together? Sliced bread is gluten-free. If you're into the gluten, don't eat the sliced bread. Come up, grab a piece, take a sip, pray with one another, sing together. Let's celebrate Jesus.